threes as a church. Lord, I, I feel privileged that we as a church get to partner with what Jasmine, Anita, Chelsea, and all those at Jasmine Grace Ministries are doing. God, to even think that this could be somehow an extension of our ministry here uh, blows me away because I'm amazed at the level of grace and love and hope and healing that they bring to women across Lynn and all, all of Massachusetts. But God, I know that just as you have been growing their influence, that you have even greater influence ahead for them. And so God, I pray that you give them all the, the volunteers, all the resources, all the, all the education, all the training, that you, that you continue to show them how to dream big with your heart and your mind. And that you, you expand their influence, not even just in Massachusetts, but across New England. And God, I, I can't wait to see really what you are going to do. But in the end, God, we can't forget each individual woman that they spend time with. God, that you bring whole healing, holistic healing to each woman. That you meet them, not just with circumstantial needs, but you speak to the emotional needs. You speak to the heart level needs. You show them who you are, and may they receive your gospel and be healed at a soul level. Thank you for what you are doing in and through them and the privilege that we have to partner with them. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, you guys, if you want to learn more, as Anita said, she's going to have a table right out by the white tent after this service, uh, so you can simply talk to her and meet her out there. Now, as I jump in for today... You know, I've, I've taken quite a few um, preaching or communication classes. And the, and the rule of thumb in every communication class that I have is, in the introduction, make sure that the first words you say immediately capture, grab the audience's attention. So I'm going to try to do that right now. All right? You ready? Today we're beginning a three-week series on politics. Did it work? Yeah? All right. Success. (laughs) But yeah, you heard me right. Today we're beginning a three-week series on politics. So now we can pray and go home, right? (laughs) Not so easy. (laughs) Not so easy. Um, See, if you see me sticking to my notes a little bit more, you know why. But because my guess is right when I say we're going to begin a series on politics, you're either deeply curious or deeply concerned. Because we all know that if you want to start a fight, you just bring up religion and politics. And we're in church, so religion just kind of has to come up, right? So what happens when you combine politics in with it? Are we lighting a pet powder keg here? But let me try to explain to you what we mean by we're about to do a series on politics. Because what we're not about to do is set up a soapbox for me so that I can self-righteously validate all of my positions and opinions. We don't really need more of that, do we? No. Nor am I trying to set up a series where I lay out for you what you are supposed to think on all the issues across the board. My goal, what I hope to do, is ultimately to, to, to back up a couple steps, and instead of telling everybody what we're supposed to think... Say, how are we guided to think? 
I want to walk with us together, looking at God's word and his grace-driven gospel and say, God, how are we meant to think about our politics as a whole, about our civic engagement as a whole? But we only have three weeks. (laughs) We only have three weeks. So as much as I wish that I could cover all the issues and answer all the questions as if I had all the answers— we simply don't have time, so we're going to have to remain pretty focused in what we do. So I've been, I've been praying, I've been studying, I've been listening to other Christ followers more mature than myself, some of which I'll name as we go through, trying to understand and lay out a biblical Christ-centered framework through which each of us can wrestle with the relevant issues and know how to respond as God's glorifying, God-glorifying citizens in our town, state, and nation. That's the big picture. Because truth is, we're all citizens here, aren't we? And with that part of ourselves, it comes with responsibility. Now, I'm not saying a citizen is at the core of who we are, but it certainly is a privilege that we have that comes with a responsibility as a whole. So how are we meant to bear our civic responsibility as followers of Jesus. You guys tracking with me so far? Now, that question is easy to ask. It's not so easy to answer. We're dealing with a lot of very complex issues right now. Not to mention we're in the midst of an election season, so maybe I am a little crazy for talking about this. But we're also in the midst of of, of a time, Justice Ginsburg just passed away. Uh, Trump just nominated, President Trump just nominated Amy Barrett uh, to take her place. that's, That's a really important shift and change in our government. We have racial tensions in our nation. And oh yeah, there's a pandemic going on. The issues are complex. On top of that, if we go to the Bible and look at the life of Jesus to say, can you guide us on how we're supposed to respond, Jesus didn't live in a democratic two-party system. He was a Jewish rabbi in a Jewish nation occupied by Rome. It was certainly politically hot, (laughs) but a very different environment. So how can the Bible speak to us? On top of that, each one of us in this room come here with a variety of perspectives and backgrounds. And so I may say one thing, But it's taken one way by someone here, different way by someone here, and a different way by someone here. So does this mean, all these complexities mean that we tried, you know, we'll just, good luck. We'll let everybody just figure it out all on their own. As much as I might wish that I could do that, (laughs) no. Because I, I realize I want to follow Jesus in every part of my life, including my politics. And at some point, it becomes necessary that we as a church gather together to talk about it. So whether you're on the right or the left, whether you're red or you're blue, how might we think together in the midst and respond in the midst of this political climate in a way that honors God, that looks like Jesus, and that is led by His Spirit? That's the direction I hope to take us over the course of these next three weeks. So this week, I'm basically, I'm going to use Jesus' great commission and his great commandment as a baseline through which we talk about why does political engagement matter? 
and how are we meant to respond or what is our role as disciples of Jesus. Next week, we'll dive deeper into the complexity and the issues of what does it look like to be, you know, we're citizens of heaven first, but we're also citizens of our town and our nation. How do we navigate that? In the final week, Pastor David's going to come on up and he's going to talk about how is it that the, the, the political world often communicates and how are we meant to communicate as followers of Jesus. Everybody cool with that? Everybody good with that? Okay. Now before we dive in, can, can we just all start on, the, on one least level playing field here? Start on the same page. Can each of us just start by admitting, and I'll start with myself. That whether we are liberal, moderate, or conservative, that none of us have all the answers. Is that okay to start there? I certainly don't. None of us do. But man, Jesus does. And so I just want to start off in prayer. And just saying, Lord, if there's anything in the way that I think, anything in the way that I think, or the way that I'm responding in the midst of this season... It doesn't align with you, just point that out. May you use this series to point that out. Can we pray together? So Father God, man, the world, this congregation does not need my opinions, my thoughts. They, they need to hear from you. We do not need another word by a human being. We need your living word. And so Lord, I've been praying that you would fill me with your spirit before this. But I'm God, I pray that whatever words are just my own, they fall to the ground. And whatever is of you, that that ultimately reaches our ears. God, because our ultimate allegiance is to you. But man, it's tough to know how to navigate right now. There's so many complexities. There's so many things going on. And and we want to be faithful to you. We want to know better how to do so. So Lord, we open our hearts not to, to Pastor Kirk. We open our hearts to you. And we ask that you show us your way. And everybody who agree with that, say amen. 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 So, if I took a poll, because that's what you do in politics. And by the way, I realized that I woke up this morning and wore the most political looking shirt I could possibly find, right? This is like the candidate's shirt. Anyway, if I took a poll today and I said, why do politics matter? My guess is, is all those in this room and for those sitting at home that I get a wide range of different answers. And somewhere along the spectrum, we would sit at one end of the spectrum. Some people say, yeah, politics don't matter and I don't even bother getting involved in them. On the other end of the spectrum, we have those, politics is everything, 20, C-SPAN 24-7, right? And more than likely, neither of a, none of us are really at one extreme or the other or somewhere in between. But my question is, at risk of oversimplification here, where would Jesus fit in this spectrum between they don't matter at all and they are everything? Where would they fit? Well, we're going to try to get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about, talk to each of these extremes or each of these ends on the spectrum. Because for some people, would much rather avoid politics the very best they can. These are the folks who, whenever it comes up in conversation, they do whatever they can to leave the room or change the subject. 
They don't even want to watch the news because the news just reminds them of all of this sort of stuff. And the fact that I'm bringing this up right now just makes you kind of squirm and feel nervous. And the reasons for that are many. For many of those on this side, they're like, man, politics equals fighting. And I don't want to fight. I'm not trying to offend anybody. They, they love the country, and they want to be well-informed, at least those that I've talked to. But they also realize that politics leave them either feeling depressed or enraged, and they simply don't like that part of themselves. So they just want to avoid it altogether. Others feel like, well, we all know that if you get involved in politics or if you try to discuss politics, it's like wrestling with pigs. If you wrestle with pigs, everybody gets dirty, right? There's no way around it. Or those on this side say, well, perhaps I, I'm just not involved because I don't know how I can possibly contribute. I don't feel like what, I have anything to really offer or to change. I'm too busy to be informed anyway. And even if I were to be informed, like all the sources around us are biased, right? So, so, so how can I possibly... What difference can I possibody make? And, and I've talked to someone on this side who's like, man, I, I do at times feel guilty that I'm not more involved in politics because I know that my citizenship is a privilege that was bought and earned for me by those who came before me. But I, what difference can I make? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands if that's you. <laughs> I'm not. But, but is that a reality? Are there some who certainly would lean more toward that side of things? Yeah. And to this group's credit, this group recognizes that, yes, there is a lot of brokenness in our political systems. And that shouldn't surprise us, though, for Christ followers. Because we know, Genesis 1 and 2, God created this world to be a place of order, justice, human flourishing, under his loving and sovereign direction. But it only took till Genesis 3 before human sin messed all that up. That from the moment that each of us are born, that our hearts are infected with selfishness and pride. And guess what? That's not just in our hearts, but that makes its way to our systems as well. Our political systems. They are broken. And because of sin's stain, it is impossible to recapture perfection simply on our own strength. However... As broken as our political systems may be, it isn't a reason to abandon it. It isn't a reason to abandon it. Romans 13 says that the God and his sovereign grace and love even works through broken governments to fulfill his purpose. That when governments operate under God's moral confines, when they operate under, under the moral boundaries that God has placed up, that the government's role actually becomes to, to uphold order, to work for justice, to establish safety. Paul even calls the government God's servant. And when we understand what those moral confines are and governments operate under that, we see that actually they can contribute to human flourishing. So if God can still work in the midst of broken human governments like ours or systems, then he may even choose to work through his people. Logic says, right? And if you look at Scripture, you see many examples of those who loved God who made an impact in the midst 
of politics or government. We see Joseph in Genesis, who was promoted to Pharaoh's right-hand man, who led the nation through famine. We see Esther, who used her position as queen to save her people. We see the Apostle Paul, who used his citizenship as a Roman citizen to ultimately share the gospel even with kings. If we look throughout church history, we can go back to places like the 19th century, early 19th century, where we meet a guy named William Wilberforce, who was a part of British Parliament, who was a strong follower of Christ, who helped to abolish slavery in the United Kingdom. Guys, I could keep going. But the point is, is that, is that even though we might be discouraged, and I have certainly been discouraged by the nature of our political systems and the way things are done, God is not overwhelmed. And the truth is, even our leaders, they will have to one day give an account to the God who establishes his throne on justice and righteousness. And for us, even if we don't make a career in politics, we can still make an impact in broken systems as representatives of Christ. I'll talk more on that in a bit. But let's go to the other end of the spectrum. All right, we just talked about those who maybe want to avoid any hint of politics. But on the other end, some people treat politics like they're everything. Doesn't it feel like everything has become political for a lot of us? I don't want to talk too much here. I'll get myself in trouble. But I, was talk- I will tell you this. I was talking to a friend the other day. who They were on a shared family phone plan. And they were trying to decide which phone provider to switch to. And they realized that this provider over here made it very clear that they supported the conservative side. This phone provider over here made it very clear they supported the liberal side. And all of a sudden, the family, which thought differently in and of themselves in the political world, now became divided because they couldn't figure out which phone provider to pick. And it was all political. Even phone providers had become political. And so sometimes it's like, man. But we see... That while everything has become political, for a lot of people, politics are everything. Why? Why? There's some people, it's like every time you talk to them, the subject somehow comes back to politics. Some people, the moment from they wake up to the, when they wake up, they check the latest, the latest news. When they go to bed, they check the latest news. It's like it's always churning in their minds. But, but why? And that question confused me. Until I ran across a, a quote by a Catholic uh, professor um, at Boston College named Peter Kreeft. And he said, if religion dies, politics takes its place. If religion dies, politics takes its place. In other words, he says, if a society no longer recognizes, worships, honors a power higher than themselves then they will naturally turn to trust in what? Human power. Human beings, we are limited. We are finite. We've got to trust in something. Our hearts are made to worship something. But if our trust and our, sal- and our sense of salvation is not found in a divine power higher than ourselves, then we're going to naturally place our faith in what? the highest human power we can find, the state and its leaders. You guys tracking with me? And if you think about it, politics have all the ingredients for a 
pretty bona fide false religion. In our church, you know, we gather around the core beliefs of who we know God is in his word. We, we gather to celebrate who Jesus is. We go out on mission to tell other people about Jesus and invite them to come follow him too. Well, in politics, a political party, they gather around core positions. They gather to celebrate their candidate. They, they go out on mission to convert people to their understanding of things, to make their policies a reality. And in church, we see that the emotion often comes up because it comes from a, a genuine work of the Spirit that's happening in our lives. But in politics, you see a lot of emotion is involved there too because, man, it's like, ooh, there's something just exhilarating about feeling like we're a part of a team of allies fighting against our enemies. And if you want to look at a, what I think is a, a pretty perfect example of when politics become religion, just follow the progression of communism. Because we see in communism, it is ultimately a political ideology that seeks by political means to bring about a political salvation, a.k.a. the equal distribution of all goods. That's, and it is by ultimately placing your hope and your faith in that that you trust in a political salvation. But we look at Jesus, and we see that Jesus did come to bring about a kingdom. But he did not come to bring about that kingdom through political means, but by first restoring people's hearts to God. Don't you think Jesus wants society to change? Of course he does. But he realized that he first needed to address the sin that separated us from God. That unless Christ atoned for human sin, and unless the human heart was awakened in the love, the radical, life-transforming love of God, that society as a whole would only continue to slip further from God as it endlessly tried to fix itself. And this is the reason why at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, the one who just defeated death, stands before his followers with the, the scars of the cross still in his hands. And he first says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the highest king. Therefore, what he's about to say is the highest mission. And there is not to be any task or any other agenda that is ever to usurp or take the place of what he's about to share. And he says after that, he says, Go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so he says, as you go, as you live your lives as parents, Sons, daughters, brothers, friends, employees, and citizens. As you live your life, go and make disciples. Introduce people to Jesus. Not just those who uh, treat Jesus as a hobby, but when you baptize somebody, they're all in, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go bring people's hearts to God. And he says, not just those who, who look like you or think like you. He says, but of all nations or people groups. 
And he says, my promise to you is that when you do this, I will be with you always. And so we see that in the midst of our society, a society that has often forgotten God, and that has turned often politics into a religion, it begs the question for us, is Jesus and his mission directing how we engage politics, or is our political party and its agenda defining what it means to serve Jesus? Is our political party defining what it means to be a Christian, or is Jesus and his mission directing how we engage politics? Are we seeking to engage civically in the world out of a renewed heart moved by Christ's compassion? Or are we, are we riddled with anxiety and trying desperately on our own to try to fix everything in human power? Are we ultimately being shaped into the image of Christ as we work in the midst of our civic world? Or are we being shaped into the image of our political ideology? In Matthew 22, um, we see there's, there's a hot-button issue. Hot-button political issue, first-century Israel, was whether Jews should pay the Roman tax or not. And in Matthew 22, some Pharisees come up to try to trick Jesus and ask him, should we pay the Roman tax or not? Pro-Roman said yes, Jewish zealots said no, and Jesus knew that if he said yes or if he said no, ultimately that his mission would be compromised. And so instead, he says, all right, hand me a coin. And the coin had an image of Tiberius Caesar on the front of it. And he says, see this as the image of Caesar? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. The coin bears the image of Caesar, so give it to Caesar. But who bears the image of God? We do. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We bear the image of of God. We'll talk about that even more next week. So my question is, what is the dominant influence in our lives? Because that is the thing that is shaping us into its image. Whatever is shaping us determines our priorities and therefore our mission. And so again, I ask, and trust me, I've asked myself this question, is my political engagement is that coming from a renewed heart as I follow Jesus? Or am I striving in human strength? Okay. All right, so we can have an influence in politics. Kirk, you just told us. Okay, but, but you know, politics aren't everything. So, so what is it? As disciple-making followers of Jesus, how are we meant to engage politically? You know, how are we to steward our civic responsibility as Christ's representatives? Now, I'll get into this even more next week. All right, So, so hold on, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more of the complexities on this next week. But at least for now, we treat civic engagement as a tool by which we seek the best for our neighbors. I just gave us the Great Commission... Now we're going to look at the Great Commandment. Because ultimately we fulfill the Great com Commission as we embody the Great Commandment. In Matthew 22, these self-important lawyers, lawyers, law, I'm told I say lawyers wrong around here, lawyers, these self-important lawyers who definitely are passionate about their ethical positions, but they don't really care a lot about people. <laughs> They come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what's the most important law? 
And Jesus initially answers in a way they would expect. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which was the famous daily prayer of, of Jews called the Shema. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And, okay, with everything you are, which is exactly what we just laid out, right? That, that, that everything you are, even our politics, should come from a desire to glorify God out of love for him. But they probably expected that. I think the second part they didn't really see coming. Because Jesus says, whoa, 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 before we move on here, the second command is equally a part of the first. And he quotes Leviticus 19 saying, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, for the law and the scriptures, everything else in here, he says, is really just commentary on that particular law. Now, the word love has developed somewhat of a vague meaning in our culture, has it not? We can certainly say that a lot of those who are on the left have detached love from its radical connection to the gospel of Jesus. And if many have watered it down to mean don't hurt anybody or practice tolerance. I'm speaking in generalities here, but, but, but just like that, oftentimes those on the left side detach meaning from the radical gospel of Jesus sort of meaning. Now, but those on the right have often been accused of, well, these guys, they focus so much on individual rights, they don't often notice their neighbor. Again, I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm just saying that that particular ideology has often been the case. So, but when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, you realize he's an equal opportunity offender right here. <laughs> Isn't he? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because he's thinking of the kind of love that is not watered down, that does not just avoid hurting people, but radically pursues to love and give itself for, for the object of its affection. And he's talking about the kind of love that would motivate God to send his only son to die for us. But when he says, love your neighbor, he's challenging all of his followers to not just love their family or their own people group, but all people whom God loves. Remember, this is Jesus who said, Matthew chapter 5, even love your enemies. Why? Because we were once enemies of God before he came and brought us into relationship with himself through the sacrifice of his own life. Luke chapter 10, after Jesus says, love your neighbor, he says it's as radical as a Samaritan caring for a nearly dead Jewish man, which never happened. So as followers of Christ, we do have to ask, how is the radical love of Jesus apparent in my political stances and actions? Just to give us some examples. I think about a woman named Fannie Lou Hamer, who in the 1950s and 60s worked tirelessly in Mississippi to give the right to her black brothers and sisters to be able to vote. That even enduring some police brutality, she refused to hate, but she insisted on loving, loving, loving. And because of that, she transformed society. When I think about those who combine radical love for neighbor. I even think about what Anita just shared in their group. 
The Jasmine Grace Ministries, they work hard to educate themselves and work for law reform in a way that allows women being rescued from trafficking to flourish. But but it's not just working for law. They also stand alongside these women, guiding them and directing them and so they can become whole in Christ. When I think about this, neighbor love, I think about another one of our mission partners named Learn Your Options Medical, which as an organization, they believe that the life begins at the moment of conception. It's something that we as a church hold, drawing right from Scripture, Psalm 139, Jeremiah chapter 1. But for them, it's not just about a political position. This is about an obedience to God and the gospel. Because they go to disadvantaged neighborhoods. They find women at risk of getting an abortion. Pregnant women who, surprised, didn't see themselves in this situation. They do not shame these women, but they counsel them. They show them God's love. They perform an ultrasound and they empower them by educating them on the choice that they have in front of them. And I want to say, man, if you want to know one of the biggest impacts, the reasons why the number of abortions have gone down in the last few years, crisis pregnancy centers are a huge part of that. But it's not just about changing a politic. It's about bringing our politics and combining it with a neighbor love. And one thing I love, Teresa Larkin, one of our members, is the executive director of it. And she says, she's like, we, we don't ever shame a woman. We know they're coming in with plenty of that. We want, to God, lead, meet, we want them to meet the God who heals their shame, even if they've already had an abortion. See, if we divorce the meaning of love from who Jesus is, we become watered-down do-gooders without a foundation. But if we fail to see our neighbor's pain and to love them in it, what kind of faith do we have? But the king of heaven has chosen to bring his kingdom to earth through his people in his love. Now I'm going to finish with this. I was listening to a a Christian author and social critic, a guy I love named Oz Guinness. And he was making a very powerful distinction for me between freedom and faithfulness. He says, if you look at the church in China, for example... He says, the Christians in China, they have shifted that society, especially within the academy and the academic world in China. Like, they have shifted things. He says, but they have very little freedom, which requires them. They must be faithful to make an impact. He said, but if you look at the church in the West, he says, the church in the West has a lot of freedom. He says, but our problem is, Because he himself is a a church leader in the West. He says, but our problem is, is that our worldliness has often polluted our faithfulness. He says, the church in America, he says, they should certainly work for freedom every chance they get. As we'll talk about next week, freedom is a God-given right, not something constitutionally given. It's God-given and recognized by the Constitution. But, he says, we should work for freedom every chance we get. But he says, if you want to pursue freedom, it never should come at the cost of faithfulness. Faithfulness to what? The great commission, the great commandment, the way of Jesus. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is the way of Jesus plus the truth of Jesus that he leads to the life of Jesus. So with that, Recognizing that it is our faithfulness to Christ and his mission. 
that will ultimately allow this world to see who he is. That even if it means we must suffer, that it's our faithfulness to the great commission and the, and the great commandment to follow the way of Jesus, empowered by his spirit, that is the thing that allows our dark world to see the light of Jesus. And that as we are faithfulness to the great commandment and the great commission allows the world to see our great, glorious, just king who is calling them to know him and be transformed by him. So where are we in all this? You might recognize, that, yeah, well, you know, maybe, maybe there are ways I should be more informed or I shouldn't get involved. Or, yeah, I realize yeah, I've made politics far too important in my life. Wherever we've come from, I just want to issue a, a, a blanket challenge to myself and to all of us. How can we combine, to take, take a political position that you are passionate about. How can you combine that position with neighbor love? How can that be, how can you seek to, as the examples I just shared a second ago, like the examples I shared, how can we combine our political position with neighbor love? And the definition, the radical, life-giving love of Jesus. And as we stew on that, will you stand up and pray with me? The King of Heaven has chosen to bring His kingdom to earth through His people in His love. God, we thank you. Thank you that you have called us to be your own, that we are made in your image, that we flourish in a relationship with you. Thank you that even though we walked away from you and we turned our backs on you, that you never turned your back on us. But then in radical love, you sought us out in our brokenness to walk through with us to give us new life. Now, God, I know I can't make anyone come to life on my own. I, I don't have that. But your spirit within me does have that ability. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church, that, that as strong as our political positions may be, God, that it would always be fueled in your compassion and in your love. That, it, that we would move forward with a mind open to your spirit, saying, Lord, how can what I do be influenced out of a desire to glorify you and to love my neighbor? So, Lord, I pray again that whatever is of you, that it will stick in our hearts and minds. Whatever is of me, that it will fall to the ground. And thank you so much that you never leave us, leave us the same, but that you're always renewing our hearts after yours. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said.